Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Psalm 40 this morning, Psalm 40. I want to welcome you again. Uh, mostly familiar faces out there on this uh, big travel weekend. Glad that you're here. It's really good to be gathered after just a few streams of, uh, of Sundays of just um, kind of being tossed around different locations here and there, all kinds of travel and all the rest. I'm really looking forward uh, to gathering with you just in a consistent pace once again. Um, I'm glad you're here worshiping in this new year with us. And if you're watching from live stream, as I know probably many of you are, uh, it is good to be uh, with you in the new year. If you're like me, you have this past week been doing some reflecting. You've been reflecting maybe about 2021. Maybe you've been reflecting on your hopes and fears about the year ahead. Well, on this first Sunday of the year, I'm going to help you and myself, actually, connect those reflections about the year past and about the year ahead, connect them to Jesus. And to do that, we're going to reflect on Psalm 40. Next week, if you didn't know, is Epiphany Sunday in the global church, so we're going to be reflecting on what that means next week, but right now I want to just look at this psalm together, this beautiful, amazing psalm. But first, let's pray. Lord, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you? Because you are our rock. And Lord, you are our redeemer. You redeem. You do turn our shame into praise. Nothing is wasted, Lord, in your economy. And our stories are brought to beautiful praise, Lord, by you and your grace. And so, Lord, would we meditate on your good word this morning, on this psalm this morning, and would it resonate? Would it stick to our bones? Would it stick and drive deep into our heart, into our core, so that we would move into this new year, Lord, trusting in you, in surprising ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor, and I've shared this, this with you before, is officiating weddings. Not only do I have like the best seat in the house, better than everybody else, but I have this amazing privilege called the pastoral charge. The pastoral charge is when I stop talking to the crowd out here, and I just talk the bride and groom. I can't predict their future, but I can't, and I, and I certainly can't give them a formula about what makes a good marriage, but I can offer them some words that might encourage them and might even anchor them in this unknown journey that they're about to take. So the book of Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite images in all scripture, describes wisdom as two things, cattle prods and tent pegs. And they're both sharp, but they both have sort of somewhat similar applications, but they're very different things. 
I'll quote it. This is Ecclesiastes 12, 11. The words of the wise are like goads. That's like a cattle prod. A long stick with some sharp things at the end. It keeps the cattle or keeps the oxen from falling off the edge. It keeps them on the path. So that's what the words of the wise do. They're like goads. And then it says, and they're like nails firmly fixed. These are shepherd's tools. God's wise words keep us, God's sheep, from ledges. His words goad us. God's wise words also keep us firmly fixed. They're like firmly fixed nails. They're like pegs that anchor us down and keep our lives together somehow. And that's all I can do in a wedding charge, is I can goad and I can offer some grounding. What I could call gospel grounding. As they embark into an unknown journey, my role as their pastor, as their officiant, is not to predict their future, but to give them some anchor points for some uncertain things that they will encounter. Words that might ground them no matter what comes. And I used this wedding charge analogy a few years ago, actually, uh, before on the Friday night of our Men's Adventure weekend, because we were about to do some uncomfortable things that weekend, like rappel down cliffs, um, raft down Class 5 rapids, or for some, sleep in tents overnight. Um, and I wanted to give them a charge. I wanted to give them a charge. Again, not predicting what would happen or what wouldn't happen, but instead grounding them in some certainties. There are some certainties that we can hold on to as God's people. Well, we're about to head into a new year. And I want to offer the same to all of us this morning. So in a way, this is like a wedding charge. And frankly, I need this probably more than you need this. I need a surety. I need a sure word that will function like the wise words in Ecclesiastes. That will goad me, keep me on a path. God's good path. But also anchor me down. Whatever I encounter. I recently saw the latest Economist magazine cover. It says, The World Ahead 2022. They call it their, quote, Guide to the Coming Year. Where, quote, our correspondents and outside experts consider the new reality that is emerging in the wake of the corona pandemic and ask what it means for politics, economics, business, science, and culture. They call this part of their future-gazing franchise. And there's something, I think, in human nature that wants to know what is ahead so as to be as prepared as we possibly can. And yes, a part of me desires that as I think about 2022. I want to know what is ahead. I can think of a number of things that make me nervous about what exactly is ahead. And I'm sure you can too. And if I could just know now, just rip the bandit off, tell me right now what the next 12 months are going to bring for me, I can be prepared. It's like knowing what to expect for a roller coaster while you're waiting in line. You know, before I wait for three hours in line, Will you tell me, please? Does this thing go upside down? <laughs> it helps. It helps keep, keep us in line. But I think a bigger part of me, if I'm totally honest, doesn't want to know what's in it. Uh, knowing would overwhelm me. 
And apparently I'm not alone. I saw this study this week where about 2,000 people were asked in a face-to-face interview if they would... if, if if they would like to know about future events in their life, and 9 out of 10, this is not surprising, said they would not want to know the negative events that are coming up. But what did surprise me is that 7 out of 10, 70%, said they wouldn't even want to know the positive things that are coming down the path. See, the truth is, as much as we would like to know what 2022 is going to bring us, the reality is we're, we're, we're pretty scared. We don't want to know. It would overwhelm us. Well, as we embark, I think, on this new year, I have good news for you. And it's this. It's this. God doesn't tell us what 2022 has in store. And it's not my role as a pastor to to offer predictions either. But he does give us grounding in any circumstance. And it's my role, actually, as a pastor to give you that grounding. To remind you of that grounding. The Psalm, uh, Psalm 40, if you're not turned there now, you can turn there at this moment. Psalm 40 is a song of David. It's a song of David. And David does something significant for us in this psalm. In the words of scholar Derek Kidner, David is, on the one hand, very honest about his story and about his story and how it interacts with God. But he, quote, remembers a wider circle and a bigger cause than his most pressing needs. So David has pressing needs, and we're going to read about that in this psalm. But importantly, in this psalm, he remembers a wider circle and a bigger cause. And that's what I want to do on this first Sunday of 2022. I want to widen our circle. Because God's story is so much bigger than the coming year. And God's story is so much bigger than our lives in this coming year. And what we need most right now is to widen the circle and to enlarge the cause. So hope, here is your charge for 2022. And it goes like this. Number one, may you be grounded in God's rescue. Would that be your ever-widening circle in 2022? Would that be your grounding Because that's the first thing this psalm does, is it grounds us firmly in God's rescue. His unilateral, one-way rescue. So just look at verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. I think for us to survive in 2022, we need to be grounded in this rescue heart of God. First, just notice how God stoops down for his people. So it says here in verse 1 that David waited patiently for the Lord. In fact, in the Hebrew it says, David waited, waited for the Lord. Whose life was it? David waited, waited for the Lord. And God inclined to me and heard my cry. That word inclined could be Translated, God stopped what he was doing. His attention was arrested 
to our cry. I wonder if you've ever been at a restaurant and all of a sudden you hear like plate, plates crashing in the back kitchen. Have you ever been in that situation? Or maybe it's a server and it's just like everybody stops talking, everybody stops eating, and they sort of look, they turn their head and they look at what just might be happening behind the scenes. That's exactly what is conveyed in verse 1 of this psalm. It's as if God hears, his, hears the cry in a way that he stops what he's doing. His attention is arrested by our cry. By our waiting, waiting cry. God hears him. And that's his heart. God stops and he stoops to our helpless place. God stoops. God also secures our feet. He not only hears us, but he actually acts on what he hears. It says in the psalm that he drew me up. This is an image of a one-way rescue. This isn't like me doing some and God doing some. No, no. We are in what's called a pit of destruction. Or to advance the image, we are in a miry bog. I don't know if you've been hiking before and you've encountered a bog. Anybody? Anybody walk through a bog? Okay, a bog... Um, a bog is interesting because they sort of, like, the harder you pull your foot out, the stronger it sort of keeps its hold on you. It's like suction action at work. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is a poetic image of our utter helplessness. The more we try to sort of pull out of the miry bog, the harder we actually get stuck. There's no better image, actually, for the human condition left to ourselves. We are in a miry bog. It means that the harder we try to sort of fix ourselves, the harder we try to make things okay, the harder we attempt to sort of solve our own issues, to solve our own problems, to absolve our own conscience, the harder we try to do all this wrong, all this wrong in our life, the harder we try to make it okay, to put a bow on top, the harder we get stuck. And that's where we're at, left to ourselves. Well, the God of rescue is not one that just hears our cry, but actually pulls us out. Alone has the strength to pull us out. And beyond pulling us out, actually gives our stuck feet freedom. It says, the Lord set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. No longer. We have security. And that's the gospel. God doesn't just pull us out of our plight by forgiving us of our sins. He does that, and that is a glorious thing. He doesn't just yank us out and suspend us in air, but He also sets us down on firm ground and gives our feet real freedom. And that's the gift we have in the gospel. And then finally here, God sparks for us a new song. So He stoops, He sets our feet on firm ground, and now he sparks in our mouth a new song. That's what verse 3 tells us. God put a new song in my mouth. So notice that this song is not one that David sort of keeps in his mind, like an earworm. It's not something that he even hums to himself. But this is a song that God sings to whom? To our God and to many. Many who will see and be in awe of God, as fear means in the Bible. 
this song that God gives us, this sort of redemption song, this sort of new song, when we were crying and only crying, we now have a song, is sung both vertically and horizontally. And that's what happens when we experience the radical, one-way, unilateral love of God. When we are most stuck and God saves us, rescues us, assures us of what He's done for us, then we sing. Why? Because God is lovely to us in that moment and forevermore. And so we rejoice in Him. And we let others know as well. We want them to experience the same rescue, actually. We want them to put their trust in the same way. Think about it. When our hearts delight in something, when we were like, have you guys ever been stranded by, um, in your car, and then you call up a friend and they come and they get you, or somebody else who's really nice comes and gets you, like that feeling of just joy and relief, you want to sing, you want to sing to that, you want to sing that person's praises. In fact, many of you know, I love Liverpool. Liverpool. I love the city. I even love the musicians that come out of Liverpool. But I also love the football club, which is the soccer team. And uh, if you want to see the power of song and delight, then just watch a Liverpool soccer game. But more importantly, listen to a Liverpool soccer game. And then, when our striker on the right wing most a lot, the most beautiful, like amazing athlete in the world, maybe ever, he's been compared to Fred Astaire, okay? He just dances around you. And when he puts that ball miraculously into the net, listen to the crowd. There is a song devoted to Mosul. I won't sing for you right now. The crowd sings, and they sing too well, and they sing to each other. He's their hero. And the beauty of that goal, the beauty of maybe his rescue, it summons their heart. And they sing, and they sing towards him, and they sing towards each other. And if that's a, a game with a ball, that in the grand scheme of things is so little. And how much more is that true about our rescuing God? When we experience afresh His rescue, we were stuck and He came. We sing. And we, we make up songs. We come to church and we make up songs. We read the Bible and we're like, let's make up songs to sing to God. Why do we do that? Because we are absolutely amazed at what God has done for us. And we have, we have a new song. And this new song has been put in our mouth by God. And this can be our grounding, friends, in 2022. We can be absolutely amazed by the rescue of God. That will never change. No matter what comes. Amen. Never change. Because 2,000 years ago, God himself sent His Son Jesus, the greater King David, in response to our cry and to our desperate plight. Jesus was, in a way, by His own volition and by His own uh, mission, thrown into the, pit of into the pit of destruction on the cross 
so that we would never be thrown into the pit of destruction. His feet were pierced so that our feet would have solid ground forever. And that is the rescue of God, and that is fact, and that happened outside of ourselves, and therefore we can ground ourselves in that rescue forever. And no matter what comes in 2022, that is something we can bank on. His rescue, it happened. It happened, it happened, it happened. And we can rest in it. And so may you be grounded in it in this coming year. Shift your hopes, shift your fears from anything that can move. This can't move. May you be grounded in God's rescue. Number two, may you be grounded in gritty trust. When you're grounded in the rescue of God, you can be grounded in what I'm calling gritty trust. And that's what verses 4 through 10 really unpack for us. It's a picture of what gritty trust or gritty faith looks like. Deep and authentic trust. Not sort of shallow, surface words. God is good. No, not that. God is good, by the way. But that's not what I'm describing here. Something deep and authentic and gritty. No matter what happens, no matter what's ahead, we can experience gritty trust. This is God's gift. Gritty trust does a couple things. Number one, it rejects inferior rescues. Look at what verses 4 through 5 tell us about gritty trust. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud. That would be anything in life, any human in life, That sort of in their pride takes the place of God. Or those who go astray after a lie. Verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare to you. Hang on to that phrase. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than be told. So there will be many things that will vie for your trust in 2022. Consider what they might be. Even now. What might you be tempted to rely upon, to trust on? Is there an outcome? Is there a person? Is there a news event? Is there a job promotion? Is there a relationship? Is there a self-help goal that you are simply placing all your weight upon? God's grace to you this morning is this. People of God, take your weight off of that thing because none can bear it to the Lord. None can compare it to the Lord. These things, even these good things, these gifts from God, they don't love you when you fail them like the Lord does. The Lord has done great things for us, even when we were His enemy. And these trusts can't compare. Only the Lord multiplies His thoughts towards you. As we heard a few weeks ago, the Lord sings over you. He delights in you. 
even when, especially when we fail Him and we come to Him with our obedience. All of our false trusts will not do that. They are, when they function as our Savior, they are what one pastor calls pseudo-saviors. Pseudo is like a lie. They pretend to bring us rescue, but they don't often. They don't ever. This is gritty trust. We, we look at these things that we're tempted to trust in, and we compare and contrast with the living God, the true God. And in the end, we say to these things, nothing compares. And that is the sort of hour by hour by hour, hour posture of the Christian. We look at these false trusts, and we say, it can't compare. It can't compare. It feels like maybe it can compare, but I, by gritty faith, believing, I'm refusing to give my deepest trust to this. And instead, I offer it to the Lord. That's the real battle. Gritty trust does that. Number two, gritty trust responds with, with this gospel with boldness. Verses 6 through 8 shows this. It's a bold offering of our whole lives, not just our actions. Verse 6. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. So notice, first in verse 4, that God opens David's mouth and gives him a new song. We talked about that. But then in verse 6, we see David sing another thing. He says, David actually opened my ear. He opened my ear, he opened my mouth. This act of grace means we can actually hear. Our ears are opened for the first time. We can actually hear God's good word and his promises. They actually land, actually, for the first time. Sometimes, I don't know if you've experienced this, you read a book that you read a long time ago, maybe in elementary school or middle school or high school, and you read that same book, and you're like, I've never read this book. <laughs> what on earth? This is amazing. It's as if your ears were opened to something that you've been and have been acquainted with all of your life. And that is renewal. That is gospel renewal. When the same message of Jesus that we hear day in and day out is made fresh to us, and we see it and we encounter it in a brand new way. And that is an act of grace. We sort of say, I mean, I know this, but now I hear it. Now I experience it. That's what God does for us by the Spirit. Notice what this act of grace does for, for David and all God's people as well. David can say something that is only true in Jesus in this verse. I have come. Behold, I have come. That verse right there is absolutely unbelievable. Quite unbelievable when David wrote this. Verse 7 says, Behold, I have come. Behold, I have come. David is saying something that can only be true in light of Jesus, which is coming into God's holy presence with a boldness, without the sacrificial system. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, says David. Behold, I come. David is audaciously saying, You are holy, and I am coming into your presence without the sacrificial system. And that, my friends, can only be true in light of Jesus. Because Jesus was sacrificed to bring us near to God. Our sin separates and creates distance between the holiness of God. And Jesus dies for those sins. 
And more than that, he gives us, therefore, intimate and bold access into God's very holy throne room. That we can call him that. Pastor Tim Keller asks the question, who dares wake up a king for a cup of water? Hmm. Only his son or daughter. In Christ, we have that kind of bold, audacious access to the kingdom of the universe. Behold, I come. We can say that now to the living God. Behold is a surprise word. Which means our access and our, our sort of boldness before God ought to be, in a way, a surprise or humble boldness. We can say Psalm 40 every single day, every single moment. We can say, Behold, I come. What the heck? How is this possible? It's possible in Jesus. The greater David came to that place so that we can say, Behold, Greedy trust. Responds with boldness. Greedy trust rejoices against all odds. And so verses 9 through 10 and verses 16 through 17 here in the psalm show us this third element of greedy trust and its greedy joy. Look at verse 9. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance, your rescue within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your hesed love, your steadfast love, and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Real trust, in other words, doesn't hide the good news of their rescue in their heart. It can't. It flows out. And then verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, my God. One scholar calls this self-forgetful joy. And that is the difference between the world's rejoicing and those in Christ. Because our rejoicing is anchored in, do you see that little two-word phrase in verse 16? But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad where? In you. And so we have an always joy. We have a sort of self-forgetful joy that nobody else has because our joy is in something that is unchanging, namely the Lord himself and his rescue. And that is gritty trust. Gritty trust says no matter what happens in 2022, nothing can steal that joy because the Lord is constant and his rescue is secure. It's a gift from God. We can respond to whatever comes with this kind of greedy trust. Thank God. And then finally, the last charge for you, friends, is this. May you be grounded in God's rescue, yes. May you be grounded in gritty trust, yes. Finally, this psalm, I think, guides us into this next ground, which is may you be grounded in Reality. This coming. Let's not hide from hard things. Let's not pretend or downplay. But may God enable us to integrate the challenges that come into our stories, the messes we make and others make, 
And would we be grounded in that reality with Jesus? And that's the gift that verses 11 through 15 give us. Just read with me. Verse 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy for me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Listen here. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me or outrun me. I cannot see. There's more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. My heart fails me. <laughs> be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Or in other words, to sort of exploit my downfall, as has been said. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! The Germans have a word for that. They shot them for them. Delight in other people's downfall. Well, for me, this aspect of this psalm is really the turning point in the psalm. And what, because up to now, everything in David's life appears amazing, appears great. His faith appears uncomplicated and unchallenged, doesn't it? No problems, no complications. But here we see that David still has problems in his life and in his life of faith. Big time. Here we see in this passage that David is feeling swarmed by evil and by his own sins. He says, my iniquities are overtaking me. They're outrunning him. They're sort of finally catching up to him. As Kidner puts it. He just sang of God's deliverance. But now, in verse 13, he needs to ask for it afresh. If all we read were the verses apart from this last section, we would get an impression about walking with God that isn't really fully accurate according to Scripture. Because according to Scripture and according to verse 40, we still encounter problems. We still make messes, and we still walk into messes. And so I'm personally grateful for this turn in this psalm, because it teaches me that we can ground ourselves in God's rescue and reality. In other words, to be a gospel man, to be a gospel woman, to be someone who is grounded in God's rescue does not mean that we need to turn our eyes or our hearts and energies away from the mess. We can actually be in the mess and still be grounded in God's rescue. Actually, it's important and vital that we do that. There's a saying that's helpful to me, facts are friendly. You've heard me say it before. Facts are friendly. The sooner that we can appreciate the facts in our life, hard as they may be, challenging as they may be, good as they may be, instead of ignore, spin, or downplay the facts of our story, then the sooner we can invite Jesus into the mess and experience healing and redemption. The sooner we can integrate the difficult things we'd rather ignore. As Frederick Bigner puts it, like we're all artful dodgers. 
of the hard stuff in our life. The sooner we can sort of say, these are friendly because I'm in Jesus, and I can process these things with Jesus, the safe one. And so here are two facts on the ground that are friendly to us in 2022. The first is this, according to this passage, the first fact on the ground is that we all make messes. Verse 12, evils have encompassed me beyond number, and my iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. These are our sins and the ways others sin against us. Other people's messes and our messes. And so, I said earlier I can't make predictions, and I'm not going to make predictions, but I will say this about 2022. There will be messes. Messes we make, messes others have made, Either way, this side of Jesus' return, everything's broken. The Welcome Wagon has a song called I'm Not Fine. And it goes like this. I'm not fine, and you're not fine, and we're not fine together. It's a great admission of this reality. In fact, on the ground number two, though, is this. This psalm teaches us that God's mercy is most reliably present in the mess. Look again at verse 11. In verse 11, David repeats God's promises back to him. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. And then verse 12 comes. I am in a mess. David is, in a way, repeating God's promises back to him. In fact, it's been pointed out that at this moment in the psalm, David, in a way, asks, stops asking God and starts talking to God. In a way, he talks to God boldly. He says, this is what's true about you. How do I know? You told me so. And I'm going to, in this psalm, tell you what is true in the midst of my trouble. You are faithful. And your mercy is unrestrained and your steadfast love is a preserving thing when I feel like I'm sinking. This means a few things for us this year. Number one, it means we can do, as Richard Pratt tells us, pray with our eyes open. We can pray with our eyes open. We don't have to close our eyes to our mess. We don't have to close our eyes to the mess like our news feed presents to us. Whatever comes... We can pray in deep touch with reality. We have permission to name wrongs, to name evils, to call spades spades. Let's not forget what Advent hopefully shaped into us these last four weeks, which is a growing awareness that until Jesus comes again, the world is fraught. And we long for that day, like David, we wait, wait for that final deliverance. But number two, this section of David's psalm also encourages us to speak God's promises back to him. And I want us to get good at this. Notice how David, again, stops asking in this section and starts recounting. This is our boldness in Christ. We can say, behold, I have come. And we can also say, this is what's true about you. We can, in our prayer life, grab hold of God's mercy, grab hold of God's steadfast love, grab hold of his faithfulness. And we can, even when we don't believe it fully... We can speak these truths back to God in the midst of our trouble. 
And in fact, the very act of speaking these truths back to God in the midst of our trouble is a mustard seed of faith, and that is true faith. Again, I'll never grow tired of saying and believing that it's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. And so we can lay hold of these things even when our faith is wavering. Because he is faithful. I think this enables us to call spade a spade. We can name the uglies in our life without despair because his mercy is deeper. Ever notice um, that it's those in your life who have hit rock bottom who are the most refreshing to be around? Has that been a true reality for you guys? Why is that a reality? It's because they've hit the bottom and they've encountered God's mercy in abundance. And so they know that at rock bottom, that's where God, as the saying goes, stores his choices blind. And it means they can name evil, they can name sin, their own and others, without, without cover-up, without, without despair, without sinism. There's a refreshingness to that. And that ought to be our story too. In 2022, let's let reality be our faith. We don't need to hide or diminish hard things. We can name them because God is more alive and present. His mercy flows in abundance into those places, far more than our places of pretend tininess. So let me ask you this as we close. What if this psalm was your theme this year? What if we just went back to this psalm over and over again this, this year? What if we revisited this psalm at the end of the year, going into 2023, and we praise God for all the ways that He has grounded us in these realities, no matter what happens? What if this is our new song moving forward? This is our new song. And I want to suggest as we close something very practical, and it's just a suggestion. One way that we can make this our, our, our song every day, one way that we can indeed uh, encounter afresh his rescue heart and his past rescue and his promises and his faithfulness, it's what's been called the daily exam. The daily exam is a point in your day when you intentionally spend time with God, reviewing your day with him. I remember the daily exam and with an acronym. I see rope. That's how I remember it. The daily exam. I see rope. I see R-O-P. I see R-O-P. So first I receive an invitation from God to be with him. I, invitation. I say to God, in a way, using Psalm 40, Behold, I come. Behold, I come. And as we come into God's presence in Jesus' name, we simply rest there. Like a child would rest. Who's tired with their dad? Or their friend? Invitation. I see, I celebrate then his gifts to me. I call to mind the good gifts that I have received in that day. The good things. And I, I mean... As I usually do, this coffee and my guitar come up pretty much every day. I mean, let's not get super spiritual. But what we're doing here is we're saying, there are so many rich gifts that you have given me in my life. And we celebrate that. And we celebrate even the meta-gifts like the cross 
of Jesus and the rescue that he gave us. And we thank God for that. I see. And then wrote, R, R, I review today. Uh, this is when we think of times when we drew near to God, when we said, behold, I come. Maybe not literally, but in our actions, perhaps in our heart posture, we, we, we recount the moments where we're like, I was helping that person out of love. And it was rich, and, and the Spirit, <laughs> and the spirit was, was there empowering me. And we review those times. And we praise God for those times. And then we also review the times in which uh, we have not drawn near to God in that given day. Where we were sort of cranking it out in our own flesh or going into our own safety schemes. Or maybe as we heard in this psalm, sort of all the moments in our day when we put all of our weight on our false trusts. And for many of us, those are repeated false trusts. And so we can start to identify them. And that's our review. But then after we do that, we come to O, or offering. We offer all of that to God. All of that. All of who we are. Both the t- all of our story for that day. Both the times we've drawn near to Him, and both the times that we failed to draw near to Him, or even walked away from Him. We offer it all to God. And at this moment, I call it the kindness corner, because it's as if you're turning a corner, and you receive and you remember afresh the kindness of God. kindness of God leads us to repentance. We remember that in Christ, both those best of times and those worst of times in the last 24 hours do not save us. But we are secure and we have the righteousness of of Jesus and we have regret maybe, we have conviction maybe, but we do not have condemnation. And in that moment we experience afresh the kindness of God and we offer ourselves like David does here in verse 6. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required because of Jesus. Behold, I come. And I come in freedom. And I come in security. And I offer myself to you and in your presence. And he receives me in Christ. And then I offer a simple prayer. I share this with you, this icy rope, this exam, because I want you to create a daily pattern of grounding yourself in these wider circle realities. That's all. It doesn't have to be this. It doesn't have to be examined. It doesn't even have to be examined as I described it. But is there a way that you can ground yourself afresh every single day in the coming year in this wider circle of God and the intimacy we have with him? So, Lord, would you make it so? Where we come to you desperate like David, Rejoicing in your rescue, but also needy in a mess. And when we ground ourselves in your greater rescue, this moment and every day moving forward. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.